0: One of the biggest bones of contention that many people have with our Catholic faith is our belief in the infallibility of the Pope. And that's enough for many people to shut down the conversation right there. They absolutely won't even engage it and say, oh, that's ridiculous. How can you believe that the Pope can't possibly do anything wrong? Well, first of all, I think they misunderstand what our belief in infallibility of the Pope is. They confuse it with impeccability. We don't believe that the Pope is impeccable, meaning he can't possibly make a mistake, or that every word out of his mouth is automatically gospel truth, so that if the Pope should say, vanilla ice cream is better than chocolate, well, now we have an infallible belief from God that everyone has to prefer vanilla over chocolate. No, of course not infallibility, well, first of all, even to un- understand infallibility, we have to define there's two different levels of infallibility. There's the ordinary infallibility of the church and the extraordinary infallibility that belongs specifically to the Holy Father. Most of what you and I believe and are bound to is from the ordinary, the infallibility of the ordinary magisterium, the regular teaching authority of the church. And that would be a wonderful discussion in itself. But today, talking about the extraordinary infallibility of the Pope speaks that under certain circumstances, when the Pope is speaking um, to all Catholics universally, as the recognized successor of St. Peter, ex cathedra, as we say, from his chair as the successor of St. Peter, on a matter of faith and morals, and with the intention of making an infallible statement after much prayer and discussion goes into it, the Pope can exercise his infallibility and declare a statement that we know the Holy Spirit promises us is the truth, and that all Catholics are bound to believe it. And that teaching, that extraordinary infallibility of the Pope, You know how many times it's been used in the history of the church? Twice. Exactly twice. In 1854 by Pope Pius IX to infallibly define the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and in 1950 by Pope Pius XII to infallibly define the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's it. All of this hullabaloo is about two statements in 2,000 years about our belief in the Blessed Mother, which are not really uh, ultra-controversial. In fact, even people who don't necessarily agree with our belief in the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption usually just say, well, I can get past that one. Those aren't the important issues for them. So all of that discussion about infallibility of the Pope is about these two Marian doctrines, And they're not things that I think any of us could really find ultra uh, controversial. But they actually go hand in hand. The Immaculate Conception and today's feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Assumption is a logical conclusion from the Immaculate Conception. So let's go back and look at what we celebrate in the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary on December 8th of every year. The Immaculate Conception is without a doubt the single most misunderstood feast in our year. And that point was driven home to me rather dramatically when I was in college. I had two roommates one year, and we were both, all all of us were Catholic, and we were talking, it was December 7th, about going to Mass the next day for the Holy Day and what the Mass schedule was. And I remember one of my roommates saying, he goes, you know, lots of people go to Mass for this feast, and they have no idea what it's about. They completely misunderstand it. And I said, yeah, I know, you're right. I said, lots of people think that the Immaculate Conception is the feast of when Mary conceived Jesus. And he said, well, that's what it is. I said, no, it's not. My other roommate chimed in and he goes, of course that's what it is. I said, no, it's not. That is the feast of the Annunciation that we celebrate on March 25th, nine months before December 25th, Christmas Day. He goes, well, if that's not what it is, what do you think this feast is about? And I said to him, the Immaculate Conception, which is celebrated nine months before the Feast of the Birth of Mary on September 8th, is the feast of when St. Anne conceived the Blessed Mother in her womb. But God privileged her that in order that no sin would even remotely come near Jesus, he privileged the Blessed Mother to be conceived in her mother's womb without original sin. And he jumped right away and goes, that's ridiculous. What the heck kind of a feast is that? And the other one agreed. I said, I'm telling you, that is exactly what the feast is. Well, they didn't agree. They didn't believe me. So they decided to call the ultimate authority. They called our chaplain. And the chaplain had a nice big booming voice. So my one roommate picked up the phone and got him on. And I could hear everything the chaplain was saying uh, through the phone. And he says, hey, Father, he says, we're having a discussion here. And we're having a difference of opinion. And we need your help. And he says, okay. He says, tomorrow's feast of the Immaculate Conception, what is it all about? And the chaplain said to him, well, what do you think it's all about? He goes, we think it's the feast of when Mary conceived Jesus. And he said, well, you're wrong. And he says, he goes, I'm right. He says, no, you're wrong. He says, oh, well, what is it? And almost verbatim the way I had said to him, he says, this is the feast of, so that no sin would even remotely come near Jesus. The Lord privileged the blessed mother to be conceived by Saint Anne without the stain of original sin touching her. So she was conceived without sin and remained sinless her whole life. And he says, oh, thank you very much. So he hung up the phone and he looked at my other roommate and says, he's right. (laughs) And I just went... But the Immaculate Conception, is a, it's a privilege that Mary had that you and I don't have. We were conceived with original sin, which is washed away in baptism. But from the Immaculate Conception, the assumption makes perfect sense because... Death and the burial of the body and the decay of the body in most situations, except for incorrupt saints, is usually is considered the result of original sin, which you and I were conceived with. And so since Mary did not have original sin, neither did she commit any sin throughout her life. There was no need for her to wait until Jesus returns in glory for the resurrection of the dead, as you and I will be waiting for, that when we die, our bodies will be buried. And then when Jesus returns in glory, our bodies will rise from the dead. Well, Mary didn't have to wait for that. So at the end of her life, she was assumed body and soul into heaven. So she now lives in the risen glory that you and I will know when Jesus returns in glory. She has now a privilege that is our hope that we will have at the end of time. And Mary in that is a wonderful model for all of us. You notice actually even uh, one of the things the Pope was not ready to define when Pope Pius XII defined uh, the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary is there's a big debate among Catholics and Greek and Russian Orthodox Christians as to whether or not the Blessed Mother died at the end of her life. Our Orthodox brothers and sisters believe with us in the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption of Mary, but there's difference back and forth. Some believe she actually died, and others said, no, she only went into a dormition, a deep sleep, and from that deep sleep her body was assumed into heaven. And the arguments on either side for it is... Some people were saying, well, since Mary never knew sin, she didn't have to die because death is a result of original sin. So therefore, it would not be necessary for her to undergo death, so she would only undergo the dormition. But the rebuttal to that is, well, no, but Jesus did not have original sin or any sin. He was perfect too, yet he died. So therefore, death would still be necessary. The rebuttal back to that would be, well, of course, Jesus had to do that because that's what Jesus came to do. He came to die and rise from the dead so that we would die and rise through him. So therefore, he had to do it, but Mary didn't. The rebuttal to that is, well, yes, that's true. However, if Mary didn't die and Jesus did, it would look like she was trumping him. So out of deference to Jesus, even Mary would have endured death so as not to look like she's better than her son. Well, it can go back and forth, and the church has no official teaching one way or the other. So the Pope, in making the definition of the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, left that unanswered. He stepped aside of it and saying, when the time of her earthly existence was concluded, she was assumed body and soul into heaven. So if sometime down the line, the church should be able to know infallibly that Mary did or didn't die and decides to do it, okay, we'll know the truth then. But we could go ahead with the assumption, even though we don't know whether or not Mary died or went into a deep sleep. But be that as it may, of course sometimes we could look at Mary and say, well, you know what? She couldn't sin because God privileged her that way. Well, yes, he privileged her, but it wasn't just that Mary had nothing to do with it. We talk about the prevenient grace that God gave her, that because he knew when the angel Gabriel came to her that she would freely say yes to him, she privileged her to have the grace beforehand of being immaculately conceived and of not sinning throughout her life. And Mary didn't know that as she was growing up. She had no clue that, you know, she was the Immaculate Conception. So nothing takes away the freedom of her will to say yes to the Lord when the angel Gabriel came to her. And of course, she had the privilege, obviously, of the Assumption. But while you and I don't share in that privilege, we have original sin, which was washed away in baptism, but we also have our own sins, All of us have sinned, and we've all are in need of God's loving mercy. You and I have to wait until the last day to appreciate the assumption, as Mary has it, that when we die and our souls, if there's any purgatory necessary or there's enough people praying for us, our souls enter the glory of God's kingdom. Our body excuse me, must wait until the last day when Jesus returns in glory. And on that day, then our bodies and soul will be reunited and they'll both be perfected. We'll live in a perfect soul, in a perfect body, in a perfect new creation. Absolute perfection, absolute bliss for all of eternity. That is the hope and promise that you and I were given the day of our baptism. That was what was destroyed by original sin and what the Lord changed for us. And Mary had the privilege of participating in that beforehand. You and I have to wait until the last judgment and the last day when Jesus returns in glory. But... Mary is a model for us. What she experienced now, we will experience eventually. And she, even though she is the most beautiful of all creatures, and we honor her more than any other creature God has ever created, she is still nevertheless a creature of his. And even she was saved by his grace, and she is a wonderful model to us of following the Lord and doing his will. As we heard in the, first, in the gospel reading today, when Jesus says, rather blessed are those who hear the will of my Father and do it, well, Mary certainly did that. You know, when, she, when the angel Gabriel came to her, she told her what God wanted. She said, hey, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. She didn't qu- quetch over it. She didn't complain. She didn't hanker. She didn't say, well, give me two weeks to think about it and I'll get back to you. She just did it. And if we can learn to do the same thing, when we hear God's will, just do it. As the old slogan says, do God's will without thinking about it. So often we worry so much about the the ramifications, the consequences, what it will mean if I do what God asks of us. God's will is never going to lead us to destruction. It's always going to lead us to salvation. And so we need to have the strength just to um, to say yes to God's will. And unlike Mary who never sinned, you and I fall still to concupiscence. While original sin is washed away in baptism, concupiscence, the inclination to sin, does remain, and you and I all fall to it. And if we acknowledge our sins, when we realize we've sinned, bring them to the Lord, uniquely in the sacrament of reconciliation, but our venial sins also being forgiven in the Eucharist, when we bring them to the Lord and say, Lord, I have sinned, we know that purification, and as we leave the confessional, we are as purified and spotless as we can be at that moment, and hopefully to never sin again. And every time we do and we come back, the Lord forgives us over and over again He never tires of forgiving us. And so the question to ask ourselves today is, how frequently do we go to confession? Hopefully it's something we take part in regularly. Every month or so is a healthy thing to do in order to have a good, healthy spirituality. If we don't remember the last time we went to uh, confession, well, that should be a good red flag for us to say, you know what, it's overdue, and let's make sure we do. In confessing our sins over and over again, we still will know the grace of the salvation of our souls and the glory in his kingdom when Jesus returns at the end of time. We don't have to be sinless at every moment of our existence in order to enter heaven or go through our entire lives without sinning as Mary did. That was a privilege she had. We have to only go through our life acknowledging our sins repeatedly. Whenever we commit them, bring them to the Lord and allow him to forgive us. And if we do that and desire to be freed from sin and live a life without it, boy, in living a life without sin, that changes everything because we live the joy and the peace and the meaning in our lives that nothing in the world can give. And when people say they need to find themselves, they don't know happiness and they want to know the answer. It's very simple. Find God. Follow Jesus. Live the life He tells us to live when we realize we've sinned. Acknowledge them before the Lord. Let Him lovingly forgive us and embrace us and heal us of those sins and constantly restore us to that dignity that Mary had permanently, but we have for moments of grace here and there when our sins are forgiven. And ultimately, If we are acknowledging our sins throughout our life, when our life is over, we will hear the Lord say to us, well done, brave and faithful servant. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world and we will enter our souls into the glory of God's kingdom with Mary and Jesus, Mary in her assumed body, Jesus in his ascended body, and on the last day when Jesus returns in glory, then our body will be raised from the dead, and we will share in the fullness that Jesus and Mary now share in his kingdom of living in the new creation with a perfect soul and a perfect body as Jesus and Mary now do. May Jesus Christ be praised now and forever. Thank you for listening to this week's homily by Father Coroza. If you enjoyed this homily, please pass the word on to your friends and invite them to listen. For more materials from Father Carrozza, please visit www.fathercarrozza.com